And we're back. Hello, Sad Intellectual Hotties here. Cassandra and the lovely APOC, as you all know. We're today, I'm really excited. We are talking about role playing. I like to call it reparative role playing. And why it's okay to date people who remind you of family members or parents when it's conscious and chosen by everybody, when everyone's aware of the dynamics at play, right? So it's okay. I think that there's some stigma and cultural stigma that we have against people who marry people who look like their parents, who act mm-hmm. like their parents, who, who you know, um, APOC, you were just talking a little bit about one specific trope that might be fun to mention right now. Oh, right. You're, you're kind of combating the stigma around, like, he married his mother, that kind of, yeah, like... Yeah, uh... like, the, the sort of disdain that we judge people's relationships by, like, well, she's just like his mother, so no wonder they're married, and she mothers him, and, you know, it's... it. I feel like there's a lot of judgment cast on, on those familial sorts of dynamics that happen. Yeah, I mean, I tend to think that, I mean, everything is kind of um, contextual when, when people are like, oh, like, well, yeah, he just, like, married his mom. I'm like, well, what is his mom like? And, like, what is their relationship like? I mean, if he had, like, a bad experience with her and he's trying to, like, you know, trauma demands to be repeated and kind of unconsciously acting out weird attachment stuff, um, then, like, that's one thing. But if his he has a good relationship with his mom who's like a good person and she's really cool and just like and loving and, and loving and everything yeah. else then it's like i mean that just strikes me as like qualitatively different and not necessarily worthy of like disdain um but i do i do think i do tend to think that when people say that with disdain it tends to be like the she's like like mommying him and he just like right. had to find somebody he's else just to like the, he's just their third child <laughs> yeah or whatever exactly. like that whole thing yeah i mean i would say that the the goodness is really sort of in the middle like i'm people have qualities that are both desirable and not desirable and even if we had parents that were dysfunctional in a lot of ways i'm sure they had other really lovely qualities that we look for and people that we enjoy that we have in within ourselves so yeah the context is a huge piece of it and a huge to me a huge piece of the context is the awareness level of the people participating yeah and our our podcast and our content are for people who are interested in increasing their awareness yeah and so that's part of relational dynamics is doing introspection and, and increasing the awareness that we have around uh, power dynamics, psychological patterns, behaviors, all kinds of things. And so I think that looking at our relationship through the lens of archetypes and role playing mm-hmm. can be really supportive to um, foster a rich narrative that is supportive to continuing healthy relating. Yeah, totally. Totally. The the story like the story that you tell about like your relationship or like the narrative or like origin story mythology of the relationship, I think if you have those like archetypal roles or if you have those like um an understanding of like your family background and like your patterns and like what's being replayed out and like what's not and in what ways they are, that kind of like just gives you opportunities to kind of like fine tune your relationships for sure. And yeah. so I think that's kind of like when you when you first like pitched this for the pot, I was just like, it is dumb when people do that. 
<laughs> yeah. I kind of like bought into the trash. I was just like, yeah, he's like fucking like marrying his mom kind of thing. But then when I started thinking about it more from like an attachment kind of from attachment theory perspective and also like the archetypal kind of like Jungian thing, I was like, oh, you know, like, no, it is good to kind of like understand that it is very context like dependent and the consciousness piece is like the big piece of it because the thing that we get annoyed about right is when we see our friends you know dating dating her dad or dating her mom or whatever like over and over again you're just like drawing and seeking out the same kind of like attachment wound and you're just like replaying it over and over again in like every relationship and And usually unsatisfactorily is that's the reason why the judgment is cast because it's like oh these people are miserable these people are not having a good time yet somehow because of the codependent arrangement that they've fallen into it works like, right. they're still together. The relationship is still maintaining, but it's maintaining in dysfunction. Yeah. Out of unconscious behaviors and choices and comfort zones, really. Yeah, totally. So, and that's sort of, uh, I've got my little outline here. We love to outline our episodes. Um, when people unconsciously get into these dynamics, it, it's, it can become trauma bonding. You know, if somebody is classically the rescuer and somebody is classically the... Um, need or uh, the victim essentially captain save a syndrome captain save a is a great example <laughs> um or just even mother son mother daughter father you know that so sure. that whole thing of like i am in the parental role where i take care of things and i save you from problems that you have created and you get to just be the little baby you know there's all that um replaying past hurts just continuing to seek getting needs met and continuing to be denied and continuing to seek that out in like a really masochistic way that's again unconscious um it's could be it's not satisfying and and really ultimately what happens then is you're moving along on your path together and you've got your little relationship resentment starts to build because people are making choices and over giving and then overtaking and then it the resentment kills sex drive and polarity and and that and that's really that's why codependency is unpleasant really i think because of the 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 killing of the sex drive well just the the misery it that happens because everybody is offering way too much responsibility toward the other mm-hmm. person's needs and desires yeah or offering none at all. Mm-hmm. There's either one happening or both happening at the same time. I mean, I see plenty of codependent people who are both sacrificing themselves for each other. Oh, for, like a in double ways, martyrdom. Kind yeah, of like thing? a double yeah. martyrdom where both people are over giving mm-hmm. and over intervening in their partner's lives, and they're both doing it to each other to the point where they both see each other as these small little babies. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. it. I recently had some clients that, that were doing that. And it, it is fascinating because I, you know, we think that codependency is sort of turning into codependency discussion. But a lot of the time it seems like, well, there's the codependent person who's very um, self-sacrificing. And then there's like the narcissistic person who's very much a, like a taker. And I, and I think. Which like happens. And but, yeah, yeah. But I think sometimes also both people have both of those elements mm-hmm. at play. And it just depends on the situation to who when who's going to show up when and what role is going to be played mm-hmm. when but either way it's still unconscious and they're not choosing those roles yeah the thing that that's really interesting because i i think i've probably seen that play out before and maybe even my past relationship was kind of more like a double martyrdom sort of thing in a weird way but I think what's interesting about that is like the idea that struck me was like if you're so busy kind of like 
giving, giving, giving and sacrificing, you don't actually have space to like receive and yes. to like notice like what and to appreciate the things that you're getting. Like if you're just constantly like, well, what can I do for this person or how can I, you know, then you're not actually like noticing. And if you're both doing that at the same time, then no one's actually, it's just all this expense energy and no one's actually like noticing the things that they're receiving in the relationship if you're just like anxiously and neurotically performatively kind of you know giving 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 yeah that's exactly what was happening in in my client's dynamic Mm -hmm. is they both thought that they were giving so much to each other that neither of them really wanted from each other oh interesting so it was like this why so occasionally they would have this moment of being like wait why are we even doing this neither one of us (laughs) want this um so they weren't receiving yeah the gifts that each other were giving and they were resenting it too because each person was like, I do so much for exactly. you. And, da, 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 yeah. da, da. <laughs> and yeah. it was like, no, what are you talking about? I do so much for you. And it's just like a yeah. a total like missing. Yeah. And that's the problem with that. I always think about it in my head. Like that's the problem with codependency, right? Is like, it's like, it's like a fusion. Mm-hmm. And to connect, you actually yes. need like a certain amount of individuation and distance. Like if you're fused, right. you're not actually connecting. You need two disparate like constructs or entities to like bridge the gap yeah. and like, connect and like go apart and like reconnect and if you're just kind of fused there is an actual yeah like connection we call that enmeshment yeah um and we've talked about this before on the pod the magnets like Mm -hmm. if the magnets are stuck together you don't feel the pull yeah of them being together it's that it's that moment when they're apart and then they start to come back together that you feel Mm -hmm. the pull and that's the thing that people want to feel that yeah so yes um so I think that really ultimately the technique to get around so most people who haven't thought about this before, you know, listeners, you might be one of them, don't realize that they're in some sort of familial dynamic with their partner, especially a Mm long-term partner that they've been with. So the techniques to quote-unquote fix this, we're not trying to fix anything. We're we're actually in some ways keeping everything the same except becoming aware of how it is. And that helps us to navigate it better, right? It's introspection. That's always the answer. Introspection self-work having tough conversations with our partners about roles that we're playing transactions that we're doing and giving and you know expectations that we have of each other we've talked about all this stuff before a lot um just thinking about our patterns and our tendencies i one one question that we can ask ourselves is what's my comfort role how do I like to show up in spaces? Is there a joke that I'm the mom of my friend group? Mm. Is there a joke that I'm the dad of my friend group? Is there a joke that I'm the youngest child or I'm the only child all the time because mm. I'm selfish or self-absorbed? Or, you know, if we can really honestly connect with the role that we like to play, mm-hmm. that can open up for us to see who it is that we attract and the roles that they play and how how much we're choosing and how much we're not. Yeah, yeah. I think that like looking looking across your relationships, not just romantic relationships, but also your your friendship yeah. kind of relationships and seeing kind of the um yeah, what I just thought of Jung has that quote that it's like um something to the effect of like, you know, everyone's everyone's playing out a story or a myth. Like everyone is playing out and and you you want to get an understanding of what your story or your, your myth is because it might be a tragedy and you might want to like fix that shit basically you know so it's like looking across the the patterns in your life and seeing what role you tend to be playing and then maybe 
maybe there's a connection between, you know, your your attachment and your relationship with with your parents. And like, for example, I mean, I think that a lot of um, a lot of people who had <clears throat> either either like a loss or like a strained relationship with with a parent or for, or even like a parent who who was sick or something like mm -hmm. I, I think that a lot of people like um, who had to be like a parent as a child they were parentified kind of, they were parentified they have that desire to like save people or be like a rescuer or be like a, a caretaker because like they had to like take on that role yeah as like a young person if you're if your parent was you know sick mentally or physically or whatever yeah or there inconsistent was, like, even or alcoholic that's really common in adult children of alcoholics yeah. code you know that codependent sort of thing because mm -hmm. um, you have that you have that um you have people people call it like a people call it a core wound or whatever and then some people get turned off by that because it sounds wooey but i mean if you even even if you just think about it kind of cognitively or like behaviorally you have a you have a mental representation or a template of how in your in your earliest years how relationships go right like what your relationship is with the people that you depend on or if they depend upon upon you and that's just that's just the template it's mm -hmm. not that it can't be be changed a lot of people talk about attachment or those core wounds as like they're always that's the this prototype and are. it's like stable over time and this is how you are and i don't actually think there's um particularly good evidence for that infant attachment style doesn't predict adult attachment style um even particularly well so a lot of people can and do change but that is through corrective relationships and experiences that's through having different that's through ha coming to a relationship with an expectation or with a template and having somebody else challenge it and having a different experience and so that expands your idea of what relationships can be yeah or look like yeah, or even if it's, I mean, challenging it, yes, but even if it's just a really similar dynamic, but this person, for whatever reason, is able to fulfill the need that you, that that parent never did and does, and you're able to receive it, and, and all that, it's, it's, it maybe that is a challenge, I guess you're right, to what you thought was going to happen, even though it's what you wanted to happen, what you're trying to make happen. Because the challenge in that case would be, um, the expectation or belief being like, well, maybe this, maybe my mom or whatever met my, my need, but at the cost of X, Y, and Z uh... at the cost of like, maybe my parent, cause, and that's with, you know, cause some, some parents will, will attune, but then they'll punish or they'll be really inconsistent with how they, you know, pay attention to their kid or, or love their kid, for right. example. And so it's like, you might then have the corrective or challenging challenge challenge not challenging challenge experience of like having a partner that like can attune to your needs and you're waiting for the cost and you're waiting for the blowback right. and you're just kind of like what the fuck is gonna like at, at what cost i'm gonna have to sacrifice a part of myself or they're gonna snap back at me or they're gonna yeah. you know and then it doesn't happen and then that's kind of like the slow way of becoming kind of like more yeah more settled and so i think that that I think that accounts for a quite large amount of people who might earlier in life be more insecurely attached or avoidant and then as adults become securely attached. I think it's I think it's often that experience of like they're waiting for the other shoe to drop and they're waiting for the other shoe to drop and if they through luck or will find themselves in a relationship with someone who's not going to not more going secure, to punish probably. Them. Yeah, exactly. If they if they if they find themselves in a relationship with someone who is more securely attached, then they kind of are able to to shift that that dynamic. Yeah, I mean that definitely is what happened with Fabian and I mm -hmm. when he at very first expressed 
needs that he had to me in our relationship about not not repeating patterns that he'd been in before with women I don't like I don't want that kind of relationship or I don't I want space I need space mm-hmm. um I think he was really surprised that I was agreeable to what he wanted yeah and I was and I didn't try to punish him about it mm-hmm. so that 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 makes sense and then there were times when I it took a while, I would say, probably for me to know what I needed from him and then actually be able to ask for it. And f- there was some, he does kick back sometimes on me w- with certain things, but he always eventually is, is cool about it. And he never turns it into like, you're selfish, you're terrible, which is what I would have gotten from my mother about mm-hmm. things. So it's, it, yeah, I mean, that's been happening to me. And that's an anecdote, I guess, I can share about, about me and Fabian's dynamic for sure yeah and I think that like the the kind of going back to like the um the the role playing or the like the the archetypal the archetypal thing I think that like when you when you are securely attached or moving towards secure attachments you can kind of like confer the benefits of like occasionally playing those roles because you're doing it consciously and you're not going to be like punished for it i mean even in i mean not even necessarily like in romantic relationships but it's like you know for example like my my mom died when i was 17 and so like i notice in myself a desire to be mothered yeah and the the drawback of that is that if I don't know that I'm doing it and kind of pulling for this from people who don't want to do it. But if I come to you or a different girlfriend of mine and I'm just like, hey, like I need kind of like a a maternal ear or I need just kind of like a, you know, like an advice sort of thing or just like a warm, comforting kind of thing. Like in this moment, can you do that? I just kind of like, can you do me a solid and do the thing? Then it's like, then I'm not just kind of like, if I know that that's a thing that I have and a thing that I need and a thing that I seek, then it's like I can kind of choose the right person to do it with. They can agree to do it and it yeah. can be, you know, a thing, not just like I'm, you know, from this place of aching need unconsciously, like seeking this from people who may or may not be able yeah. to give it to me or again, they give it to me, but like at what cost kind of taking advantage of my my need seeking kind of thing. Right. Yeah. I mean, well, that's what I have written down as the benefit of of being willing to do this work introspection is not necessarily fun it can reveal patterns and it can reveal things about ourselves that we would maybe initially feel embarrassed by or ashamed of mm-hmm. and i might just be talking about my own reaction when i discover things i I, mean, I don't think i'm alone in that but do we're talking about shadow work so we're looking at parts of ourselves that we don't easily see and and that can bring on um unpleasant emotions at first so but the benefit to doing this the thing that's on the other side of the yuckiness is is being able to discern which is what you were just talking about Mm -hmm. who actually can play the role that i need right now Mm -hmm. who can and then asking for it knowing what need you have asking for it of the right person or Mm -hmm. probably the right person right Mm -hmm. and then actually getting the need met like those are the biggest benefits of choosing the right people to interact with and have relationships with asking for what you need and then actually having it be fulfilled and then you need it less and then you need it less and then like i was talking about the other night um somebody in my life reminds me of my dad and i'm really attracted to him and and there are times when i can't have his attention although his attention feels really fucking good to me Mm -hmm. there are times when i just can't have his attention so i actually ask myself what is it that I want from my dad mm-hmm. that I'm not getting yeah. that I want from him right now in this moment? And I can't, I, I have just 
done within myself realize oh i really want to know i really want to feel like i'm um, my dad's proud of me oh yeah i really want to receive that Mm -hmm. and so i'm gonna make myself cry right now about it like giving that to myself in the moment like feeling my dad say it to me feeling this guy say it to me and like feel that like kind of mixing their energies a little bit and like parenting myself Mm -hmm. that i didn't have to go bug either one of them (laughs) for that yeah um and it was great and i felt much better afterward I mean, the attraction yeah. that I have to this guy is, isn't gone away necessarily, but I don't have to, like, bid him all the time to mm-hmm. be my dad. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I think it's, like, very... I think it's very normal to be attracted to things that are familiar and, like, comforting and, like, to some... To a certain extent. I mean... Yeah. So I think if you're if you're just like, I guess the the extent to which you feel that pull is kind of mediated by maybe some like, oh, I didn't. This is me need seeking or not getting. But if you're like aware of that, then you can then you can, like you say, kind of like parent yourself or kind of understand understand what what you're seeking. And if that's if that's a fair bid or not and kind of like do that kind of inner reparative work so that you're not kind of, you know setting it you're so you're not setting anyone up to like have to be the only to person have to, to have to, to like that. cure the wounds of like the past i mean obviously like this person right you know which and again like i think this is a person you could even like eventually have like oh, a I conscious we'll conversation about, about with so which is cool because you can with the right kind of person you can be like hey you know like this i'm is, noticing i'm this. noticing this and this is really interesting and then if they're you know into this kind of shit and they're if psychologically minded they're shit. like oh that's really interesting it's <laughs> super know? heady there are lots of people who don't want to think about things in this sort of higher minded way where everything's a metaphor for everything else and that's totally cool so having that said if you are one of those people or if your partner is which is entirely possible that you like to think about heady things and your partner it doesn't that happens really ultimately though the conversation i think that could be helpful still is to talk more about the rescuer the victim and the villain mm. and those kinds of roles mm-hmm. because then it then it, you don't have to bring in the parent thing or any of the stuff that might make people squeamish people get squeamish because get if for whatever reason it. you know yes incest is taboo and that's mainly just because it's not good for the genetic pool it's not good for genetics like it's, it's not. there's really no other reason why it's taboo don't other do than it. that i yeah yeah sure it causes drama but like <laughs> So do any other relationships, right? Yeah. Uh, okay. So aside from that, talking about are you are you the rescuer? Are you the victim? Are you the villain? Mm-hmm. And and some relationships people trade off and then they point fingers in different directions depending on what's going on. Mm-hmm. And in some relationships, it's like I'm always the rescuer, and I'm always the villain, and you're always the victim. Yeah. Or and well, a lot of the time, if someone's always the rescuer and someone's always the victim. Both people take turns both also being the villain, depending right. on who's mad at who or right. about what is happening. Totally. And and that can be that can be a really helpful conversation because ultimately the rescuer often becomes resentful of having to rescue and is probably rescuing way more often than they really need to be. And then the victim becomes resent, resentful of not being allowed to do anything themselves and not being listened to and not being heard, but then also wanting to receive the rescuing. Mm-hmm. So there's got to be a discussion on when when are we going to play this role mm-hmm. when are when do i want to actually step in and intervene yeah is, because the next question is why am i doing it what's the payoff 
Which is, which is, I think, always, like, the function question, which I think can get at the more, like, pragmatically-minded people who don't mm-hmm. want to, like, dive into, like, Jungian metaphorical archetypes. Right, it's like, right. what is the, what is the function of the role I'm playing and, like, what is the payoff? Because, like, you were talking about the, I think, I think often a function of being a rescuer is, like, if that's the only way that you feel um, potent and powerful in your life is if other people are smaller than you and are kind of need weaker you. than you and like need you. And this, ha- I mean, men and women like this, this is also kind of like an archetypal, like Oedipal, like mother kind of thing. Yes. It's just like all consuming and like, I need people to need me or else I'm like not okay. I mean, or this, this isn't like worthless. necessarily gender like specific. Um, no, there are plenty of men who do it, but just as a dad instead. Yeah. Dad vibes. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I think that like, understanding or at least looking at what are the common roles that I play and then getting to the the function and like what is the payoff if I stopped doing that what would I be losing what would I be giving up how would that yeah. feel and kind of like playing yeah. with or that an, a little bit uh-huh or another question is what am what emotion am I avoiding by intervening like what do I not have to feel if I if I do this thing if I rescue this person then I don't have to feel the chaos or I don't have to feel the shame or I don't have to feel the present moment or whatever, you know? So um, it's it's one of those two. And if we can be really honest with ourselves about that, then, then the payoffs are huge. The payoffs can be gigantic because then we can decide I'm going to rescue you because because of what I want out of this interaction. And then we can be really honest about the selfishness that we are putting into the situation like well if I give you a ride I don't have to wait an hour for you to take the bus to come see me and I don't want to wait that hour so I'm gonna go and rescue you and give you a ride because I'm getting something out of that rather than it just being me gifting you something or rescuing you yeah like you don't appreciate me because I right. it's like well because I, I do just, all of this for <laughs> you yeah totally but it's like no if I'm really just doing this because I just own and understand I don't want to wait the extra hour and I just want to see you sooner then it's like it's less of like a I'm just I'm just a self-sacrificing martyr and, right you know. it just pull it just pull, puts responsibility back in for both parties and yeah. choice and and if if you have listened this far into our podcast that's probably the thing that I would hammer into everybody's head I mean the reason why we're calling this reparative role-playing is the reason why it's reparative is because it is choice people are becoming aware of their own inherent power and ability to make choices that match up with their desired outcomes essentially yeah no i i think that mm, my i mean this is this is largely what i view the in many healing endeavors including like psychotherapy is the process of becoming more free because Mm -hmm. i don't think that we are we are i don't think that we are granted that automatically or necessarily i think that like you can you can unconsciously act out a lot just through rote kind of habit, through yeah. whatever your entire life. And then programming. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, programming, all of that, cultural programming, family programming, et cetera. And so the, it, the, the self reflective process, I just, I don't see another way that you can actually become more free to make choices and kind of uh, orchestrate the life that you, that you want. But I think Agreed. it starts with, with the, with the insights. Obviously, yeah. that's my bias because I, we're psychology people. But, um, well, that's the way I've done it. To give credibility <laughs> statement, I literally, when I was in my early 20s, realized that I was in a codependent dynamic with a boyfriend that I had where I thought I was the codependent and he was a narcissist. I don't think he's actually a narcissist. I think he was just avoidant mm-hmm. and I'm anxious. Yeah. Um, I think he's a typical person 
mm-hmm. um, not narcissist, which that gets thrown around a ton unnecessarily, the narcissist thing. Yeah. Um, it's people are just trying to get their needs met. But that was when that was really what opened me up to this process in my early 20s and so i've been sort of unwinding that for myself since then and Mm -hmm. i still find myself doing unconscious things every once in a while Mm -hmm. um it's easier to be responsible for it like oh yeah i totally did that okay maybe i don't have to be so mad about this that or the other or blame this person but you know ultimately it's not wrong to be a mother to somebody it's not wrong to choose to parent somebody it's not wrong to choose to to be parented or to receive it's just a matter of is everybody involved just like we talk about with kink is everybody involved consenting to this dynamic and it and the more aware we are of the dynamic the more we can consent and then the more we can co-create the experience rather than have the experience create us Mm -hmm. that was that's my thesis that sounded really yeah (laughs) Yeah, I just wanted to let that hang in the air for a moment. <laughs> for a moment. Yeah, so it's just uh, peace, relational fluidity, polarity. I would say the next the next piece of this for APOC and I, for you all, would be get someone to help you do it. Because if you come talk to us and you get coaching with us, we will give you the questions that you can answer to help guide you in that introspective process. And to support you in seeing this for yourself, within yourself, so that you can then start to make those choices. I think it's a great idea to work with a professional on that. And yeah. and that's the service that we're offering. We're offering coaching and support in that. It's hard to see the water that you're swimming in and have been swimming in your whole exactly. life. And it can be super helpful to have somebody who, you know, cares about you to kind of look things over. Yeah. Ask, asking the right questions. And yeah. Yeah. Um, we're going to pull you out of that water and like we'll dangle you up there and shake you around and then clean it'll be nice off, and we'll put you into our hand and we'll put, put you in a clean stuff. tank it'll be awesome yeah so <laughs> this became a fish metaphor I don't know. yes yes so so hit us up we offer complimentary consult sadintellectualhotties.com we've got our sex ed workshop coming out pretty soon i've got a relationships workshop coming out pretty soon um near the end of the summer so that's pretty much it for today. We're going to have a bonus episode coming out pretty soon as well. It's all happening. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. It's okay to fuck your parents. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, <laughs> signing off. Love you. Oh, God. <laughs>